الحمد لله وكفى وسلاما على عباده الذين استفى اما بعد اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم من شر حاسد اذا حسد سبحان ربك رب العزه اما يصفون وسلاما على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد ومبارك وسلم Normally when we meet on Fridays we talk about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala We talk about yakin, we talk about our iman, we talk about our zikr We talk about increasing and furthering our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala But the reality is that the deen of Islam is also mentioned in one very other important thing Which is hukuk al-ibad Which is the rights and responsibilities that we have over our fellow human beings and in fact, the deen of Islam, it's part of its beauty, part of its power, part of its encompassing totality. That not only has it been revealed to guide and instruct a person as to how they should behave towards their Lord, the adab that they should have towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but it's also been revealed to teach us, educate us as to the adab, the akhlaq, the morals, manners, etiquettes that we are to behave with one another the other that we're supposed to have to the fellow believers, mu'mineen and muslimin, as well as the other we're supposed to have to all of Nasr insan, to all of humanity. And it's very important actually that alongside we're discussing our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from time to time we reflect upon different character attributes, different uh, relationships that we might have with other people. One of the major uh, challenges actually that a human being has is precisely how to interrelate with other human beings and those of you who live in the dorms are facing this challenge right when a person comes to university and you mingle with so many different students or when you live in the dorm and you live with so many different students well the more and more contact the more and more interaction you have with other people then the more and more flashpoints there are the more and more possibilities for conflict controversy, the more and more you're exposing yourself to being hurt and the more and more you're granting yourself the ability to hurt other people. And therefore it's very important that if we are placed in such a setting in which we have extensive interactions with other people, some are friends, some are classmates, some are acquaintances, some are colleagues, some are instructors, some are students, so in this realm of extensive interaction, it's critical uh, that we actually try to... It's more important for us perhaps than people who live relatively secluded or simple lives. It's very important and critical for us to learn what the Deen of Islam says about how we're supposed to interact with other people. One of the major illnesses of the heart is to have what is called bughaz or what is called hasad. Bughaz means to have spite, malice and hatred towards somebody else. Or simply speaking to have ill will, to have negative feelings, to harbor negative feelings towards another human being in your heart. And the second word is hasad which means envy or jealousy. To be envious or jealous of another person in your heart. And unfortunately, you know, we might think, we might like to think of ourselves as being free of these two attributes. But the reality is that many of us, the majority of us actually are suffering and are failing at one or multiple levels and have fallen prey to these two sinful attributes. And then so we need to discuss what these attributes are. We need to discuss how the deen of Islam teaches us right, to cure these attributes inside us.
So the first thing is having anger towards someone, to being upset with someone, right? Uh, and the sign of this, really, if a person wants to know if we have this, is, it, is there anybody in our life, or anybody on this campus, or anybody in the dorms, who when we see them, we get disturbed? At the very minimum, we feel disturbed, we feel ill at ease, we have a feeling of unease, perhaps a feeling of apprehension, perhaps a feeling of anger, but there's some effect. In other words, our heart is affected simply by seeing this person, or by engaging this person, or by being in the presence of this person. That means some level of bhuva, some level of ghil, some level of anger, hatred, rancor has entered into our heart. Now if you think about it that way, then probably for almost every one of us, there's at least one, if not several people like this in our lives. Now, if you look at this, what is it about this person that has made us angry with them? So normally the, re- the way we excuse this in ourselves is we say that, no, this is justifiable anger. That this person really has wronged me. This person really has done something wrong. I'm justified in being upset. I'm justified in being disturbed or perturbed when I see them. In fact, I'm even justified in harboring those negative feelings or having that ill will. That is the major trap, right, that shaitan or our nafs, right, puts us in and keeps us on this path of anger. So let's just take this, let's take the case of justifiable anger, quote-unquote justifiable anger. If we can solve this, if we can make ourselves understand why this is not acceptable, then it's unnecessary to establish that unjustifiable anger is also unacceptable in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And simply speaking, right, the way that we are going to get around this is as follows, that okay, look, it's possible that X has done something. We will acknowledge and admit that X said something to hurt you. X said something that did hurt you. We'll go one step further and say X said it deliberately to hurt you. Right? And therefore you, your feelings are understandable, you, we can rationalize them, we can justify them. However, if we want to look at it this way, then the cure for this is as follows, is that we should look inside of ourselves, how many things have you and me done that justifiably should anger Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How many things have me and you done that in complete justification and all fairness and all justice, there should be actions or emotions or sayings due to which Allah subhanahu wa should be extremely angry with us. So if we wish that Allah subhanahu wa should forgive, should forgo His justifiable anger with us, then it de- that demands and necessitates that we also be willing to forgo, to overlook our justifiable anger towards other people. Allah subhanahu wa mentions in the Qur'an al-Kareem, وَقَازَمِينَ الْغَيْزِ that there are people who literally swallow their anger. This is the meaning in Arabic. That they swallow their anger. Means they suppress their anger so they feel anger. The deen of Islam is not saying that you, you will become emotionally numb. That you will not be hurt. That you will not feel anger. You will feel that. You will feel that anger and resentment. But what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want us to do? He describes this as a praiseworthy attribute of the believers that they swallow their anger, they suppress their anger, they do not act upon it. That's really what it means by swallowing. And that is something that a lot of us have this problem is that we react. Muslims are not reactive people. We cannot be pro, we cannot be provoked. We cannot be prodded into action that somebody writes something, we shoot back. Somebody says something, we shoot back. Somebody does something, we shoot back. That is against the sha'an of a believer. right? 
if we do something for some other reason, for an educated reason, that is different. But purely reactive behavior is not there in the Muslims, right? And this is what Allah SWT means that the anger is there, but the sign of a believer is that he swallows it, suppresses it. It means that she doesn't let the water boil over. She puts a lid on the pot. No matter how much the water might be boiling, she keeps that lid securely fastened. And you know, this really is for our own benefit. Because many times whenever we act in anger, we act in haste, we make a decision that we will regret later on. Somebody will say something, if we allow ourselves to be provoked, we will shoot back and say something that we will regret later. We will wish that we could take it back. So it's actually for our own benefit that Allah SWT has taught us that we should try to be people who swallow and suppress our anger. If anything, actually other than being reactive, Muslims are meant to be proactive. They're supposed to preemptively launch uh, a word or an action uh, or a dua against evil, right? Uh, or against, uh, you know, injustice. So the first way then to control our anger is simply to think that, okay, if I'm angry with this person for X, Y, Z reason, just try to imagine how angry Allah Subhanahu must be with me for X, Y, Z reason. And that has the benefit of us then, you know, in that sense, in a person will totally even forget about other people. That should be enough, this thought process, this mental exercise, would be enough to make a person just become totally lost in their own relationship with Allah, they'll forget. That is one way that they can throw water on the fire of their anger towards somebody else, is when they get focused on the anger that Allah might have for them, then they get so preoccupied with that, that they totally become oblivious to their feeling of anger towards that other person. And secondly, again, is to think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, truly you, I am, if that person is worthy and deserving of my anger, then how infinitely more am I worthy and deserving of your anger? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you have not reacted, you have not manifested your wrath, you have not seized me in your wrath, in your power, in your kudrat, in your might, in your jalal, in your azmat. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whatever little ikhtiyar you have given me, whatever little power you have given me, I will not seize this other person in whatever little power you have given me. Right? And it's very important that we sit down and reflect and think and try to identify who the people are that we might harbor negative feelings towards and sit down and make this mental exercise to remove that negative feeling. And the second thing closely related to this is hasad, right? And let me do hasad in detail then I will give you some general comments about both of these things. Hasad means specifically to envy another person. What does that mean and how can you tell? What is the alamat? What is the sign? The sign is number one that when a person gets something, which really means that Allah Taala bestows a person with something, we get upset, we get angry. You would say in Urdu, "Hamara dil mein jalan hoti hai." Our hearts get inflamed. We feel a fury. We're upset that why did this person get X? Why did this person get this grade? Why did this person get this promotion? Why did this person get this status? Why did this person get this time? Why was this person's name taken? So whenever, if somebody else gets something and we're upset about that, that disturbs us, that is a sign of hasad. The second is if somebody else is praised in front of us and we're upset, it bothers us. We cannot hear other people being praised in front of us. So why did so and so, why did so and so praise X and not me? Why did he praise Y and not me? Why did X do well in the course and not me? 
Why did it seem that X was pleased with the answer of Y and not me? So whenever we have this feeling of being upset, right, uh, then that all of that is hasad. And the most criminal form of hasad is actually hasad in the deen. One is hasad in dunya, that okay, I'm upset that this person got this money, I'm upset that this person got this house, I'm upset that this person got this promotion, etc., etc. I'm upset that this person got into lums, I'm upset that this person got admission into grad school, I'm upset that this person got this scholarship, etc. The most devastating and the most criminal form of hasad is that in the deen. Why is it that this person is able to follow the deen? Why is it that this person is regular in their fajr? Why is it that this person is regular in their zikr? And when we see that, when we see people around us doing well, rather than being happy with them, happy, rather than our hearts becoming happy that at least there's some people that I'm not successfully able to bring myself to my Lord, I should be happy if I see that there's somebody who is struggling, who is striving, who perhaps might be meeting with a greater measure of success than me. And in fact, I should not just be happy, I should be hopeful that Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, You've guided this person when I see how much Karam and Raham and Shafqat, how much generosity and mercy and kindness you are bestowing upon this person, then I get umid, I get raja, I get hope that perhaps Allah subhanahu wa your gaze might also come my way. When I see this person progressing, I realize that your gaze is being cast, that your hidayat is being sent, that you are sending your mercy, you are guiding people. So whenever I see people being guided, Allah subhanahu wa I become more hopeful that perhaps there is hope for me too as well to be guided. So the most dangerous type of hasad is to have hasad and deen. And this was the sifat of shaitan. Shaitan did not have ordinary hasad for Sayyidina Adam He had hasad in specifically what? Now listen to this carefully. He had hasad in the mahboobiyat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shaitan saw that Sayyidina Adam was the mahboob of Allah. Now that wasn't necessarily excluding him or, or, the other, or any of the angels, shaitan is a jinn. It wasn't excluding him or excluding Jibreel Islam. But he couldn't stand the fact that another being could be the mahboob of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? This is hasad fiddin. Right? This is hasad in a religious spiritual manner. So, and that might be the penultimate type of hasad. So that means we should assess ourselves, do we also have envy due to the mahboobiyat of somebody else? That they might be becoming the mahboob of Allah or the mahboob of someone, etc. That means that we have the shaitani type of hasad. So this type of hasad should be something that we should acknowledge, we should analyze, and we should try to literally extinguish it entirely. From our being, from our heart, from our thought process, from our emotions, from our outlook. What is the cure for hasad? Well, the first cure for hasad is similar, it's a mental exercise, right? To realize, number one, what we have to do with all of these sins, these internal sins, many times me and you, we don't feel the enormity of our internal sins. And so in order for us to do that, we have to flush them out. We have to remove the gift trapping. Right? We have euphemisms for this. Right? That no, that person hurt me, or I'm upset, or I'm disturbed, or I'm, uh, you know, I'm in a bad mood. Right? So these are all sort of euphemisms for our sins. So the first step is to, is to be honest and to try to expose our sins, try to face, come face to face with the naked ugliness of that reality. 
And so what we should, what should we do? How should we look at this? We should say that, look, I'm not just envious that a person got X. What I'm actually saying is I'm upset with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the person who does taqseem. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the person who apportions out this dunya. Allah sorry, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the being who apportions out this dunya. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the being who apportions out the deen. So if we're upset that a person is progressing more in the deen than us, then actually that means the way we should look at this it means that we're upset at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how dare you allow this person to progress on the day Al-Aman al-Hafiz Allahu Akbar who are we to even have even a drop of such an attitude that we can challenge Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's wishes challenge Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's desires challenge the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses to bring His servants closer towards Him so we should never have this feeling towards somebody right? and when we realize this when we realize this, then we will realize the enormity of hasad. Then we will have nafrat towards our own hasad, right? That is the problem. That we don't look down, we don't frown upon our hasad. And therefore, because we don't view our hasad negatively, then we're able to keep it. We're happily living two-faced or dualistic lives. We're not trying to remove the hasad from our hearts. So we have to look at this, that this is not simply hasad towards this person, this is malcontent, discontent, this is... We're feeling outraged at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for giving that person something. And that is something that I don't think any rightly thinking, believing uh, person could feel outraged towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second thing is that we should imagine that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is gazing at our heart at that moment. So the second we gaze upon somebody else, whether we cast a gaze of anger towards them or we cast a gaze of envy towards them, right? We should think that at this moment I'm looking at this person and Allah is looking at my heart at this moment. And that should be enough to make a person scared. That should be enough to make a person humbled. That how can I let Allah subhanahu wa gaze upon the fire of this hasad in my heart when what I should be hoping is that Allah subhanahu wa endow me with the coolness the softness, the calmness of His remembrance and His love in my heart. So on the surface I make dua with my tongue that Allah increase me in my love for you, increase me in my remembrance for you, increase me in these things of calmness, coolness, of itminan. And in reality at this moment Allah SWT is catching me as a munafiq. That I'm being hypocritical, I'm untrue to my du'as, I myself am eliminating that calmness, I myself am bringing the storm of anger and hasad into my heart. So if we imagine that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should not own, so we should imagine that a hasad is naked before Allah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees our true intentions in our hasad. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not fooled by the justifications or the rationalizations we might offer ourselves. Another cure for hasad, as well as for anger, if you feel anger or harbor negativity towards someone, is to make dua for that person. right, And to make Dua profusely for that person To make so much dua for that person That perhaps you haven't even made that much dua for yourself And to make dua for that person's deen For their akhirah Get that you make dua that Allah SWT grant them janatul for those That you make dua that Allah SWT make her amongst the ranks of his awliya And her, his ulama That you make dua that Allah SWT grant her the qurb And ma'rifat in sabr, in zikr, and tawakkul, and all these things that we might not even be, we might be lazy in making dua for our own selves, right? This has several benefits. 
Number one is that when we put something in truly in the beginning, we will just be putting it on our tongue. The reality will not be in our heart. But when we put it on our tongue, we are hoping that Allah SWT will put the reality in our heart. And by the way, this is a good way for us to understand this relationship between the zahir and the batin. People don't realize that. Right? People belittle the zahir. Yes, sometimes there are many of us who we are only successful in Islam to the extent that it is a superficial appearance. It is our zahir. However, we have a hope with, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that if we adorn ourselves in the zahir of the sunnah, if we adorn ourselves according to the zahir of the sharia, if we observe a dress code that is according to the zahir of the sharia, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might put the haqiqat of iman, He might put the batin in our heart. Just like this dua, that we put these words in our tongue, which are words of compassion, which are completely opposite to, to feelings of anger and feelings of envy that we have in our heart. So we hope by changing our zahir, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would be able to change our batan by making dua for this person. And this is true for every single thing that we do in this world in the zahir. Right? I'll give you an example. Your women, it doesn't pertain directly to you, but it pertains to you in the sense that this is one of the most oft-discussed things in Pakistani society. And that is the beard. And even just the way you frame this, right, is really quite revealing. One way is to say that uh, I think that keeping a beard is, you know, an act of love for the beloved messenger of Salsun, so I will call this a sunnah beard. Another way is to say that do you really think that Allah cares about your facial hair? So to call something facial hair, right, which is one step away from hair, I mean is one step away from other types of hair, right? So to use this term facial hair as opposed to the sunnah appearance. Just our language, just our mode of expression, right? 90% of it is in our mode of expression and our language. And also in our outlook, how we perceive something. Right, so if a person has this niyat that I want to make my zahir, my outer, my apparent conform to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ with the hope that Allah SWT might accept this from me and by virtue of that he might show, he might manifest that acceptance by transforming my inner self according to the inner sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Similarly, a woman can say that I am not claiming to be the most modest person in the world. I'm not claiming to be a, a, a model of virtue as some people cynically or sarcastically might suggest. I'm simply thinking that if I make my outward conform to what Allah subhanahu wishes, if I can make my outward more and more pleasing to Allah, if I can have a seemingly virtuous outward appearance, perhaps Allah subhanahu might put true virtue in my heart. He might put true virtue in my button. So when we make this du'a for this person, right, against whom we have hasad, right, uh, you know, it can, it's very pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not only can He reform our batin in this particular sense, but it's possible He might reform our batin in many other ways as well. And on top of this, there's a special barakah in making du'a for other people. And that is as follows that the Prophet wasallam said in the hadith that whenever a person makes du'a for her fellow Muslim, then Allah subhanahu wa appoints an angel and an angel says Ameen to that dua. So the angel says Ameen and then the hadith continues that the angel says Ameen walaka Ameen. So the angel actually says three things. Number one, the angel says Ameen to our dua. So we make dua for this person. This person gets the duas with our alfaz and gets the Ameen of the angels. And then the angels make dua for us walaka. 
and it means and for you in other words exactly the same thing that you prayed for that other person the angel makes that dua for us and then after making that dua the angel says Amin again says Amin to their own dua for us so if you think about it if you make dua for somebody else you still come out ahead right because the dua you made for that person the alfaz the zaban the lisan of that dua was yours and the angel said Amin but then the angel makes dua for you by saying walaka. That means the lisan of the dua itself is the angels. Plus the angels say amin. So when we make dua for other people with our tongues, in essence the angels make the same dua for us with their tongues. Plus the angels say amin to their dua with their tongues in our haq for our sake. So this is incredible mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is actually part of the manifestation of Allah's mercy. That what a phenomenally incredible, incredibly beautiful way of human interaction Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed in the Qur'an al-Kareem. And what an incredible way of tazkiyah, of purification and rectification Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed in this deen of Islam. And really the hukuk al-ibad are meant to be understood. This is a great misconception that the hukuk al-ibad and the hukuk Allah are separate. That is not true, right? That is not true at all. The hukuk al-ibad are subsumed under the hukuk Allah. That they are part and parcel of the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that also is what actually elevates generosity and kindness in an Islamic perspective far beyond generosity and kindness that is done uh, in a secular ethical framework. Because if a person is kind or charitable, or as if it engages in philanthropy and charity for their own personal secular philosophy or ethical framework, then that cannot be considered as having even fulfilled hukuk al-ibad. That is hukuk al-insan. The difference here is that this person does not view these people as ibad. Because the person doesn't even believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so how is he going to view humanity as the servants and slaves of Allah? And in some sense, right, the believers... Every human being wears the mantle of slavery. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّةِ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لَيَعْبَدُونَ So Allah subhanahu wa has honored all of humanity by wearing, by putting upon them the floral bouquet of His servanthood. The mu'mineen are those people who have acknowledged that they are Allah subhanahu wa servants and slaves. And the kuffar, the deniers and the rejecters are those who deny this aspect of servanthood. But they cannot escape it, it's partly embedded in their humanity. So even when a Muslim does something for a non-Muslim, that still counts as hukuk al-ibad. Because the non-Muslim is still amongst the ibad, they're just those servants of Allah who have yet been able to acknowledge their servanthood, who have yet been able to submit to their servanthood. Right? And so doing something for humanity out of the fact that their ibad links that act back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because hukuk al-ibad means the hukuk of the ibadullah. Right? So hukuk al-ibad is subsumed under the hukuk of Allah. And then the second way that it's related is that when we do something, we do it in our own way, we realize our own servanthood. In other words, when we have sabr towards someone, we are realizing our identity as abdus subur that we are the servant and slave of that being who has ultimate patience. When we have uh, kindness towards someone, or generosity towards someone, then we are realizing ourself, our own identity as Abdul Kareem. When we are merciful or compassionate towards someone, we are realizing our own identity as Abdul Rahim. When we overlook a person's faults, when we hide a person's fault, 
We are realizing our own identity as Abdus Sattar. So Hukukulan, Hukukul Ibad, when a person fulfills the Hukukul Ibad for the sake in the name of Hukukullah, then reality, in reality that person themselves is increasing their Ubudiyat, they're increasing their own Abdiyat, they are perfecting their servanthood and slavery in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now lest a person have a misconception that well why can't I be angry with someone and I'll be realizing my status as Abdul Akbar, right? Or why cannot be angry at someone and I'll realize my status as Abdul Jalal? So this should be very clear that Allah subhanahu wa sifat, His attributes are broadly speaking of two kinds. One are sifat jamaliyah and the second are sifat jalaliyah. A human being has absolutely no share in the sifat jalaliyah. Our acting as Abdul Akbar means that we are totally putting ourselves in slavery to that being with Akbar. Al-Akbar, we are saying that there is no kibriyai, there is no greatness, there is no glory except to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no way that we can somehow think that we tap into that. It's the sifat jamaliyah that we are meant to tap into. Obviously the way that our generosity is absolutely, universally, totally incomparable with Allah's fatal sifat of generosity, whether in degree or in kind. But we will view it that way, right? That this is what the way we will manifest our identity as Abdul Kareem is by trying to be Kareem towards other people. But the way that we manifest our identity of being Abdul Aziz is not, or Abdul A'la or Abdul Akbar is not by being uh, haughty or high-handed or using our power to other people. Rather in his sifat jaliyah it means that we are completely acknowledging the foregoing of those attributes. That we don't have any uh, of those attributes or any element of those attributes inside us. So in this sense then actually hukuk al-ibad is critical. Right? And we also have to understand this as well, that we can never fully realize or actualize Islam, and we can never be a proper servant and slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, until, um, unless we have opportunities to do amal on every aspect of the deen. So if we don't fulfill hukuk al-ibad, we're not actually perfect. We have not perfected our deen until we actually go out there and engage the servants of Allah, and we constantly, continually struggle to perfect our adab, our morals, our etiquette, our manners in dealing with them. Now getting back to a bit more of a practical thing that pertains loosely to both hasad and anger, right? We have to replace this with a more positive emotion. And that is we really have to learn to become people who love one another for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we have to overcome our pettiness we have to overcome our jealousies. We have to overcome perhaps our own uh, inferiorities, right? And all of this, this side of it is all washed away, right? By increasing the love that we have one another for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why this deen has put so much emphasis that Muslims are not meant to have an individualized approach to Islam or that we're meant to individually try to understand things in our religion or to use our individual rationality. In this deen, we are meant to interrelate with one another. And in some sense, the greatest sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to be found in the human being. And in, in that sense, the greatest absolute sign is found in the human spirituality. But perhaps second to that is in the human emotion. And that human emotion, the most noble form of that human emotion comes out when we interact with one another 
in the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to do so. So the beauty of the love between Ummati and their Nabi, the beauty of the love between a teacher and student, the beauty of the love between a spouse according to right the teachings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His beloved Messenger sallallahu the beauty of the love between a mother and her child, the beauty of the love between a father and his child, right? Uh, this is part of our human beauty, right? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to realize and actualize by following these moral ethical teachings of the deen of Islam. And one major thing that keeps us from doing so, that keeps us from eliminating the anger inside us, that keeps us from eliminating the hasad inside us, that prevents us from adorning ourselves with more noble attributes of compassion and mutual love, is another illness that we have is that we're no longer able to listen to nasiha. Right? We don't like to be advised. We don't like people telling us what to do. In fact, the very word preaching has a negative connotation. That, that person is too preachy. Or we don't want to be preached to. But does that mean that we're going against this hadith of the Prophet He said, it's a very famous hadith, الدين nasiha الدين that deen is contained in nasiha. And nasiha is contained in deen. The essence of deen lies in nasiha. And the essence of nasiha lies in deen. The essence of Islam lies in advice. In mutually advising and reminding one another. Right? And the essence of mutually, mutually advising and reminding one another is that that should be done for the sake of the deen. Right? And we have become people who have lost our tradition of nasiha. We don't wish to place ourselves into nasiha. We ridicule that in terms of that we've given up our mind. We're listening to other people. We're blindly following others. Right? And so once we become disconnected, not just from our ilmi tradition, but we've become disconnected from our tradition of nasiha. Right? We become disconnected from our tradition of tarbiyah, of taskiyah. We become disconnected from the tradition of our elders, of our mashayikh. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran al-Kareem. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanattakullaha wa kunu ma'as-sadiqeen. That, O oh, you who believe, you should adopt taqwa towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You should know Allah, fear Allah, love Allah, be conscious of Allah, be righteous in your action, abstain from that which you found upon. Wa kunu ma'as-sadiqeen. That you should place your very being in the being of the sadiqeen. Why? So that you might listen to their nasiha, that you might internalize their nasiha, that we might benefit from their nasiha, that we might submit to their nasiha that is from the Qur'an and Sunnah, so that we might be more successful in molding ourselves in a way that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if we regain right this level of nasiha, and, if we, and we should also think, those of us who have opened ourselves to this nasiha, that if we have hasad or envy towards one another, it is a betrayal of that nasiha. It is a betrayal of everything that is pure in that nasiha, especially the hasad that we have in deen, right? That is something that absolutely we have to eliminate. We can have hasrat. We can say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm so happy that you have uh, sent your blessings and your grace upon this person. I don't wish at all for this person to be decreased in in fact, I wish this person to be further increased in the fuzzle and the grace that you have bestowed upon them. But I wish that I also, right, be get a share of that fuzzle, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fadlan ala mu'mineen. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the being, the entity of fuzzle, of grace and beneficence ala mu'mineen on the believers, 
right? But this is the fuzzle of Allah SWT. He says in the Quran, يُتِّهِ مَنْ He bestows it upon whom He wills, right? And our job on earth really is to make ourselves in such a way or to try to make ourselves in such a way that we would attract the gaze of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that we would attract His fuzzle, that we would earn His rahmah, that we would make ourselves in such a way that it is part of His will to shower His graces upon us, to guide us further on the path closer to Him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable all of us to honor all of the hakuk al-ibad, to purify ourselves of our anger, our malice, our spite, our hatred towards others, to purify ourselves, to rid ourselves of any and all traces of envy and jealousy, be they for the sake of this world, or be they envy and hasad for the deen. Wa akhiru da'wana, and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.